0: Uh, have arrived at this point uh, in the series. Um, it's been quite a journey. I, I think that uh, we've we've been diving deep into the Scriptures and looking at these threads that have, have been running, and, and we see how these different ideas and themes are running in the Scriptures, and it's all culminating up to this point where we talk about Jesus Christ, the image of God. <clears throat> what we noticed with Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 is that he was someone that was created. Adam and Eve were created God took the dust of the ground, it says, and, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam was first given life. Adam was not just given life and made uh, life. He was given uh, the responsibility of being in man, or in God's image. First, uh, Genesis chapter 1:26. Sorry, I'll get warmed up in a second. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, 26, it says, "And then God said, "Let us make man in our image and after our likeness." And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So Adam was and Eve made from the dust of the ground. Or Adam was made from the dust of the ground. Eve was made from his rib. And together they're made in the image of God. And he gives them this great responsibility to be his image bearers in this world. And part of their charge as image bearers in this world is to be fruitful and multiply. Because God is life, he expected them to reproduce and make life. And, and be as, as that representation of God of creating new life. And then also ruling in this world, subduing it. They were at the pinnacle of God's creation and given this charge to have dominion over all things and all the creation. They were told to be, be fruitful and have dominion. They were given law. Adam was, was given commandments to follow. We saw that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put man in, who he had formed. And out of the ground... May the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. You see how God is the one who defines what is pleasant to our eyes? God is the one who truly defines what is good. And he gives mankind this blessing. And he puts them in this place where everything is beautiful and everything is good for food. The tree of life there also in the midst of the garden. What a blessing. They had free access to the tree of life. And also there in the midst of the garden was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He gave him purpose; he created him with a job to do, and he put him in that garden to work, and to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "Of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life, you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and, evil, and good, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die." They were given law. They were given commandments. And we explored this in the, in the very first sermon. We looked at Adam as being the image of God. And we saw the pleading that Moses made with the people of Israel that helps us to understand why God gives us commandments. He was putting a choice before Adam. As Moses told the Israelites, so we see that choice laid before Adam. He lays before him blessing and curse, death and life. And really the responsibility and the choice was for Adam to make. And God wants us to choose to follow after life and not bring disobedience. Yet man, because of the influence of Satan, sought to elevate themselves to a status that did not belong to them. We tried to, to become more than what we were created to be and create more value for ourselves and gain more for ourselves than we had the right to. And and humanity, because of the influence of Satan, is, is now plagued with this mindset. Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Satan comes and says, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you will be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what God called evil, now Eve is influenced to see as good, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Unfortunately, mankind continues to be plagued with these ideas that Satan planted in their hearts and minds at that time. We saw and talked about how God, uh, was the image of God was changed. Satan comes along and says, God knows. And so now he's claiming to know what God knows and totally misrepresenting who the true God is, changing the commandments. No, you can't eat of it and you'll be okay. You're not going to die. And then he, he elevates mankind to a position that doesn't belong to them. You will be as God's. And what they introduced into the world was not anything better. They didn't elevate themselves to some higher position. Instead, they sold themselves into sin and devalued themselves. And it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that sin had a far-reaching consequence that we feel the sting of today. All have sinned, and all have experienced the, the result of sin, and that is death. And it's appointed for, for us to die. After this, the judgment, the scripture says. And because of their sin, because of that breaking of the harmony between a holy God and holy man, because of the corruption of sin, we saw last night and talked about the exile, how that separates us from God. And they were exiled from the garden. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see, God was doing him a favor. By separating them from the garden, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and, the, and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. They lost access to this and were restricted now from entering into this place in their unholy and corrupt state. But God had a plan. And he initiated that plan there in the garden when they fell. Genesis chapter 3.15 He said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God is saying a human life caused this problem and messed it all up and committed sin, and it's going to be a human life. The seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. The serpent would strike a blow to the heel, but only one of these is a death blow, and it would not be the bruise to the heel. But he promises that a human life would come and crush the head of this serpent. And he gave that issue he issued that covenant he issued that promise there in the garden and the rest of the story of the scriptures is how God brought about this promise to pass through the pages of the Old Testament focusing then on the the family of Abraham. we, fo- we first encountered the, the people of Noah and and his family and we talked about that story and talked about how he was a prophesied son that was going to bring rest and and how God commanded him and gave him instructions and he created a vessel to be put in and sealed in by God for, for the Lord shut him in and then raised him up from that corruption and, and washed sin away and destroyed the world with the flood and they were raised up to new life and we saw how it was a picture of our own journey and the picture of the journey of Christ that he comes into this world and it was a hinting and a foreshadowing of what was to come and when they stepped out of the ark God reissues the commandment to them that he gave to mankind and the, and the responsibility that they had to be image bearers. In Genesis 9, 1 and 2, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea in your hand they are delivered. Here we see this reissuing of the responsibility of man to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over all things. And Noah, again, his name means rest, and he brought rest and turned the curse of the ground over and back. And he brought rest unto his people that had suffered before. Then the language changes as we come to Abraham and we studied that story of Abraham. God charged Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah and his sons, you, be fruitful and multiply. But then the language changes when he comes to Abraham and notice what God says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee and in thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. God is the one who's going to bless Abraham. God is the one who's going to bring about this promise. And the promise that he gave him is repeated over and over in the book of Genesis. And the language shifts over to, you be fruitful and multiply. And he says this, neither shall thy name any more be called Abraham, just high father. Now it's going to be, uh, or Abram, not just father. It's going to be Abraham, meaning father of many nations. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and the kings shall come out of thee. So the language changes now from the responsibility of man being in charge of and responsible for being fruitful and multiply, multiplying. And now God says, I will do this for you, and I will multiply you and make you a father of many nations. And when we saw the son of promise, Isaac, the one that makes us laugh, the one that makes us rejoice because he is the true son of freedom, coming from the loins of Abraham, God makes that that promise to him and repeats this and carries this on through the line of Abraham. And he says to to Isaac, sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and I will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed will I give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear to Abraham thy father. Remember when Abraham offered him on the the altar and he was about to kill his son and offer him to God and God says no. Now that I I see that you're true, I see that you're going to obey and I swear to you with an oath by my own self that I will bring this to pass, and he reminds Isaac of this. I will perform the oath which I swear to your father Abraham, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Through the obedience of Abraham and his faith, God made this oath, and he promises this to Isaac. He would bring it to pass, and he would be the one to multiply them. Then we see Jacob born. We didn't even get to study and talk about Jacob. Jacob was, was born to Isaac. And, and God makes this promise to him as well and repeats that to him. In thy, thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God continually bringing forward that promise of thy seed, which we saw was a specific reference to the Christ that would come. And then something interesting happens to Israel. I wish we had time to talk about and study in more depth. But God comes and wrestles with him, and he wrestles with God all night. And he hangs on, and he clings on to God, and he prevails in gaining a blessing. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so God then changes the name of Jacob to Israel in Genesis 35. And he says, and God said to them, thy name is Jacob, the supplanter. He supplanted his brother and the blessing, and he rose up against his brother. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins. That name Israel, God says because he has power with God as as with man and he has prevailed. That name Israel means to rule as God. And in these names, we're seeing a very neat picture of, of the one that's to come on his journey to Egypt at the end of his life, Israel is reminded of this blessing that God is going to bring about through his family. And God appears to him and encourages him and reassures him to go down to this place called Egypt. Genesis 46, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, uh, the God of his father Isaac. And God spake to Israel in the visions in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for there will I make of thee a great nation. I will go down into, with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. What a great reassurance that he gives to Jacob. Go down, it'll be okay. But notice what God says to him, because this is the first time we see the specificity of this promise of making him a great nation. He says, go down into Egypt, and there is where I will make of you a great nation. And that's exactly what happens. They multiply and the Israelites become a great nation. So then the story of the Bible shifts on this people, this nation of Israel, God's chosen people that He's brought about this promise through from from the line of Abraham all this time. And they go down into Egypt and are in slavery and bondage for 400 years. But at the hands of the Egyptians, wicked oppressors that rise up over them. And Israel is now in Egypt, and this this is a picture of, Egypt is a picture of death and sin and bondage against God's people. Now, the promise of Abraham is referenced repeatedly throughout the history of Israel, and he remembers his covenant. We saw that over and over when God is going to wipe out the Israelites for their wickedness and their sin and their rebellion, and Moses and Aaron run before him and say, Remember your covenant, and God has mercy. And he pulls his people out of distress time and time again, and yet the people of God rebel time and time again, and God drives them out of the land and exiles them. Now this part of the Bible, when we look at the Old Testament and and the stories that happen there, it clearly highlights this struggle between a holy God and a corrupt humanity. And it clearly highlights to us the struggle that God has had with man struggling and in conflict with us, trying to bring us to life, trying to help us to choose life, trying to teach us what way is right. Yet time and time again, we reject God and we throw that off as if it were a yoke of bondage. But God promised that he would ultimately protect his people and bring them out of the struggle of exile. We saw that last night. He would gather up all the nations unto himself. And so the the, the Israelites, through all their suffering, they held on to this great and wonderful hope, knowing that this great one from the seed of the woman would come knowing that this great king would come to vanquish their foes and bring peace and restoration to the land. And they longed for, and they groaned for, and they searched for this, this promise to come. In Zephaniah, we find a beautiful passage about the, the, this picture of hope that the people had. In, in Zephaniah 3:14, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. And has cast out thine enemy. They were once the cast out. But now the enemy is the cast out. The king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. And thou shalt not see evil any anymore. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem. Fear thou not. And to Zion. Let not thine hands be slack. For the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. And at that time, I will bring you again, even the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth." When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. This is the hope that the people of Israel lived for. They wanted to see that king that would come and turn back this captivity. This king that would come and vanquish the foes and bring peace to the land and gather up all the nations unto himself. That's the beautiful glimmer of hope that these people had to endure all of these afflictions. And then finally... Finally, the day comes. Jesus is born into the world. The great light that they had been waiting for. And we see the many wonderful, beautiful prayers that the people had in longing when he was born and they held him in his arms. The prayers of Zacharias. The prayers of, of Simeon as he sat there at the temple. The prayers of Anna. The prayers of Mary. The prayers of Elizabeth. This was the hope that they And not only they, but all humanity has been waiting for. For as it says in Romans 8, the whole creation is groaning together under the burden of the sin, under the burden of the bondage of death. And Jesus now comes to bring us out of that captivity and turn it back before our eyes. And in Jesus we see the true fulfillment of everything Adam should have been and more. For Adam was simply given life, but Jesus is the life giver. And the source of all life. First Corinthians 15. The Bible says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living, was made a living soul. God breathed into his life the breath of life, into his nostrils. The last Adam, Jesus, was made a quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. He is the source of all life. He is the creator. We studied and we read about that in the beginning. Howbeit it was not first which was spiritual, but that which was natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. Adam came first, made from the dust of the ground, and then Jesus came. The first man, Adam is of the earth, the last Adam, the new humanity, is made is the Lord from heaven. God Himself came down from heaven. The life giver becoming like us. And in this, He is the perfect image of God. Adam was made to represent God and be this, uh, this holy figure of His likeness, but Jesus is the true form of that likeness he is the true and perfect image of God, for it says in Colossians chapter two verse nine, "In him, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the perfect image of God. And in Hebrews chapter one verses two through three it says that God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom he, ha- he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, through himself, purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the one that is the perfect image of God that fulfills the charge of humanity to be image bearers and to preserve God's holiness and to protect God's holiness. And he is the fullness of that holiness in bodily form and the charge that mankind was given to be fruitful and multiply, Jesus perfectly fulfills those charges. How? Well, Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Remember the seed of the woman? Would be the one that crushed the head of the serpent? Jesus was made of the woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, the gathering together of the people. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It was God's intention this whole time. God planned this the whole time for all people to be reconciled to Jesus Christ and for the, for the curse of sin and death that Adam caused in the garden to be reversed because Jesus is the one that fulfills this plan to be multiplied exceedingly and to turn back this curse because he is the one, the true king that everyone had been waiting for to be gathered up into to vanquish this enemy and this foe and to bring us the peace that we so desperately seek. Ephesians chapter 1 It's a lengthy reading, but we're going to read it because it's important for us to understand. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul makes this very clear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We see that play out as we study through these things and this thread that weaves all the way through. God has shown us his wisdom and his prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, All the stories that we read about in the Old Testament, as Peter said, give him witness. And it shows us his wisdom and his prudence. And it shows us the working of God. After the counsel of his own will, we see God bringing this about to pass. That Jesus would be the one that would gather us up together into himself and we'd receive the adoption of children and become part of his family. What a beautiful and tremendous gift you and I get to be a part of because of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when we talked about Jacob being reassured? God said, don't be afraid, go down into Egypt. There I will make of thee a great nation. Remember how we also said that Egypt was a representation of sin and death? And I would say Hades, a place where we go, where we're in bondage, where we don't belong. Israel, that name means uh, to rule as God. Israel is the son of God. And Hades represents that place of embarrassment, of sin and death. That, impresses, that, that oppresses and enslaves all of humanity. And just as Israel would go down into Egypt and there be multiplied and raised up from bondage as slaves to the victorious kingdom of priests, so Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the one that would bring us rest as Noah brought rest, the one that would be a father of many nations as Abraham was the father of many nations, the one who is the true son of promise that makes us to laugh and to rejoice the one that is as Israel, that rules as God. So Christ would die to sanctify all of the faithful with His blood. Go down into this place, Hades, under the slavery of death, and be subject to that same slavery. But able, by the power of God, to break free from that and rise up victorious out of Hades, the victorious king and the high priest that will lead His royal priesthood out of there. He would, he would, there would be an exodus of His people out of sin and death. And in this act, he was multiplied. There will I multiply you, God said. And he was made a great nation of faithful children to God. This was God's intention all the time. And Jesus talked about this gathering of the nations up to himself, and he gives an illustration of a flock of sheep. And he says there's these two folds. There's one who are these line of Abraham, and then there's this other fold, the rest of the world. He says in John 10, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have that are not of this fold. Speaking of the the people of Israel, the fleshly Israel. He says, them also must I bring that they shall hear my voice. And they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. He's going down into Egypt. They're being multiplied and coming out as a father of many nations. Bringing many sons to glory. He says, no man taketh it from me, his life, but he lays it down of himself. He has power to lay it down. He has power to take it again. This commandment I received of my Father. Jesus had the power and the ability to break the bondage of sin and death. And he makes of these two folds one. The Jew and the Gentile now coming together as one, the people of God. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Not everyone who is considered an Israelite and part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of priests is an Israelite coming from the line of Abraham. That's what Paul is explaining. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. We studied that thoroughly when we looked at Isaac, the son of promise, and God is saying the ones who are truly free, that's who are the children of God. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, the Israelites, the people of Abraham, the physical descendants, they, they had so much confidence in that. He says those are not the children of God but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. The children of the promise are the ones who are the true people of God. And so this shows us that it wouldn't only come from Abraham's line but the great king that gathers up the sorrowful from all the ends of the earth has gathered people from all nations from the east and the west and the north and the south unto himself to be the faithful children of God. And he does this just as Abraham, through his obedience, gained this blessing and this promise for us, Jesus, through his obedience, gains this blessing and this promise for us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. And when we obey him, we receive a very incredible gift. Hebrews chapter 9, 14-15 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ? It's so much better than the blood of animals that the priesthood in the Old Testament offered. And if that was good enough to purify them, to be able to become approachable to God and sanctify the offerings they were making and make it acceptable to God, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, how much more will that blood purge your conscience from dead works And that's pictured in the idolatry that the people were serving. It's dead. It's dead. It's it's wood and it's stone and it's gold and it's silver. And it's not this living thing. And we bow down and we worship that. That's dead works. And he says, God will cleanse your conscience. So now you can stop serving those idols, the dead works, and now serve the living God. The true God. And it's all that cleansing comes to us through the the obedience of Jesus Christ and the blessing that we receive when we're washed in his blood. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We are made his people when we are born again unto him. And that new birth, when we're baptized into Jesus Christ, makes us his sons and daughters. 1 Peter 1, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, unfeigned love of the family that now we're a part of. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being what? Born again, not of corruptible seed, the seed of the flesh, but of incorruptible, by by the word of God which lives and abides forever. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're raised up as sons. And Jesus is multiplied exceedingly through that act that he does. And he fulfills that charge. And not only does he fulfill that charge, he fulfills the charge of having all dominion. And he perfectly rules as a representative in the image of God because he is the perfect image of God. And he does not fail in in protecting and preserving and displaying holiness. And it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature... as a human life, to go down into the grave and be raised up to eternal life, never to die again, and death no more has dominion over him. He's the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have the preeminence. And he stands there, sit, or sits at the, the throne of God, at his right hand, ruling perfectly over all of his creation. He is the one that is multiplied exceedingly. He is the one that rules perfectly as God. What we saw in Adam is that he was given law and given commandments. But what we see of the of the true God is that he's the one who gives the law. He is the lawgiver. It comes from him because it is a reflection of himself. The Bible says in James 4, verse 12 there's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, and that's Jesus Christ. What we saw of Adam is that he broke that law in order to elevate himself to the status of God. But what we see of Jesus is not that he elevated himself. God himself, who creates all things and by him all things consist, humbled himself and lowered himself to to the status of man. Philippians chapter 2, 6-8. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus God lowered himself and became like us so that he could save us from the error of humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, another lengthy reading, but I think it's important. We need to know what the scripture says. We need to know how this all connects. It starts there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. Beautiful and wonderful, and there's so much to, to look at there, but... But we'll read through it. He says, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and crownedest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. It's reminiscent of the fact that God, uh, that the, the one that would come from the seat of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, putting all things under his feet. All things are in subjection to him. For in that he hath put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, we see not yet all, all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvations perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. God himself became flesh and blood to save us. That through death, he would destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, some great spiritual being. He took on him the seed of Abraham, lowly flesh. And God humbles himself and saves us from that reality. Adam brought sin unto death. Jesus brings obedience unto life. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty 20-22. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by human life, we caused the problem. By man, a human life, the seed of the woman, would come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam, if we follow that path, we're choosing death and we're choosing to go against the commandments of God, we will die. Even so in Christ, if we follow his example of obedience, we will be made alive. He brings us obedience to life. Adam, because of the sin that he committed, caused a separation between a holy God and holy man, and he separated us, and and they were exiled from the paradise of God and from the tree of life. But Jesus is the one who delivers us from the exile. He's the one that reconciles to God and removes that separation. Colossians chapter 1, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. He's removed that barrier of sin so that we could be in his presence, no longer driven from his presence in exile, but invited into his presence through the reconciliation that Christ offers. In the body of his flesh through death so that he can present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He removes the problem and, and brings us back to God. This was his intention all the time. We saw the great crushing weight that the people of Israel cried and they wept when they heard the walls were broken down. But this was all a picture of what God was going to do in in this act of reconciling us to himself and saving us from death. They said in Acts chapter 15, Simeon had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. The two flocks that Jesus was talking about. He has another fold and he made them one. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. This holy remnant that God was going to reconcile for mankind, pulling all the nations to himself, he accomplishes in Jesus Christ, and he rebuilds that holy temple, the temple of his body, resurrected on the third day, and now Jesus is the center of our worship, and we have peace. And not only does Jesus deliver us from this exiling from the presence of God, he delivers us from the exile of death. And thank God for that. Romans chapter 8 verse 11, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead will quicken. That means make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. He removes this chain. He removes this curse and we can come out of that grave as his royal priesthood. And he destroys that bondage so that death will no longer have dominion. And though we might live in fear of that time, we can live in confidence that we will be raised up because Jesus was raised up. Every man in his own order, the Bible says, Christ did it first. Afterwards, they that are his at his coming and then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And it'll be done away with. And this curse that we experience, that we feel, and the separation and this pain and this toil will be removed and there will be no more tears in that place. And it'll be a wonderful occasion where we'll celebrate the glory of God for eternity. And we'll live in joy. And we'll know what it's like to be everything we were ever meant to be. And as Adam lost access to that tree of life, Jesus will invite us into that paradise. And we will gain access to the tree of life once again. He says in Revelations 2, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Jesus removes this captivity from us and restores us into the presence of God and gives us access to eat freely again to that tree of life and live forever. What an amazing blessing we have in the story of Jesus Christ.